Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and I'm here to guide you across the choppy seas of writing fiction, helping you catch that elusive great white whale of a non-shit book and chop it up into pieces and uh, boil it down for ambergris and blubber and I guess whale oil. Whale oil is the other. They said, I think they called it train oil at one stage. Anyway, you don't want whale facts from me. You want writing facts. Hello, how are you? Um, so this episode, I'm just going to do a little short, I guess a diary ramble is what I'm going to record because I do uh, interview episodes and I do deep, incisive mega cuts on people's work that you send in to me. Uh, incidentally, I'm going to ask you in a minute to send more work in for me. And uh, sometimes I just like to talk about some aspect of writing and talk about where I'm at with it as well, because I think um, from your emails and the stuff you've sent in to me, thank you very much for those, by the way. Uh, you, A lot of you have said that it's useful to hear a kind of honest perspective from a writer's writing life. So without taking up too much of your time, I thought I was just going to sort of talk about some things that are happening for me this week in my writing, some stuff that's been going through my head, uh, just so you can get some insight into how it is for me. Because I think, you know, as writers, and I've said this before, uh, it can be quite a lonely pursuit. Uh, it's certainly a solitary pursuit. That doesn't necessarily have to be negative, but it can sometimes be lonely if you are going through problems um, and you don't know how to fix them and you're not sure that other writers experience those problems. And without sort of pending us as uh, too pathetic, uh, I think it's nice to meet up with other writers and chat about it and talk about it and have our water cooler, which at the moment I'm establishing this podcast as, this little place we can all meet up and go, how's your writing week been? Because most people in their jobs have colleagues, right? And they get to see people. Now, you may have a job and you may hate your colleagues and the idea of having a job where you don't have to see anyone all day may be, uh, seem, seem uh, absolutely wondrous to you. I can guarantee you from uh, doing it myself, you do start to miss having lovely people around you. And the great thing about writing is you can choose those people to a, a greater or lesser extent. You can find your uh, writing family and you can gather them around you, whether that be online or in person. And you can do writing with them. Actually, this week, what I did last night is uh, and in the day is uh, I have a good uh, friend, a, a writing friend who I've known for many years. And we didn't meet up. We just I went home and she was writing at home and we... Uh, talked over Facebook Messenger and said, right, I'm going to start writing now. Are you going to start writing now? Cool. And we both wrote for a little bit and then we checked in over Messenger, said, how are you doing? How was that for you? Cool. Okay, let's uh, have a little five minute break and then start a new little portion of writing. Did that and then checked in again. I find that incredibly useful. I wrote without anxiety doing that, which is it's been, as some of you will know if you've been listening for a while, I've not had a great couple of years in terms of writing anxiety and kind of like getting gummed up with fears about being shit at writing, which I know is a classic second novel phenomenon. And uh, it's difficult as a writer to not feel like a horrible cliche when you're writing and you're not enjoying the writing or you think that the writing's a bit shit. Everyone who doesn't write, and lots of people who do, have got these ideas about uh, the cliches of the tortured artist and the novelist who goes away to a cottage in the woods to try and finish their novel that they've been stuck on for ages and who feels like a fraud and feels stressed and you can start feeling not like a person and just more like a, a cluster of embarrassing tropes and it seems funny I, when, I, when I did the episode with Joe Dunthorne and we talked about it you know part of you goes oh this is quite funny and part of you has this self-awareness about it and part of you understands that things could be worse 
And another part of you is stressed and miserable and often really genuinely sad. And I think if you can't, you don't make the world a better place by not admitting to that sadness and by shutting it out and being so embarrassed and ashamed of it that you don't actually deal with it, you know. I don't think we make the world a better place by not letting ourselves feel pissed off when we feel pissed off, not letting ourselves feel disappointed when our creative flow uh, is is choked off. I posted on Twitter yesterday, I was looking up uh, the root of, ang- of the word anxiety. I suffer from an anxiety disorder, as I remind you every week, and it can be... I mean, it's he- it can be hellish for me. I, I'm prostrated on the floor sometimes. I had a panic attack uh, yesterday morning and I ended up sort of flat against the, the washing machine, uh, fighting for breath, feeling like my throat was constricted. And actually the original root of, uh, of, of anxiety, it comes from a word meaning to bind, to constrict and, and to throttle. You know, anxiety literally means to choke uh, in its original etymological form. I mean, I know it. I know etymology isn't definition and words change their meaning over time. So yeah, uh, dictionary fans and etymologists don't at me. I, un- I know that, but I think it's telling often uh, the root of a word and uh, how it developed because that suggests something about some of the assumptions that are folded into our usage of it. So anxiety has this uh, root of meaning to throttle or to choke which I think any of you who suffer from anxiety and especially any of you who've had panic attacks will go, well, no shit. But then you think of something like, so creative anxiety, that's kind of like a creative throttling, a creative choking. Uh, and anyone who, you know, rap battling is a great example of this idea of someone choking. And we use it in sports as well. You choke, you step up to the plate and you can't perform. This idea of creative anxiety, you step up to the laptop you step up to the blank page and you choke you cannot write you cannot perform and I think that it's difficult to explain to someone who doesn't write how terrifying that can feel especially when so much of your identity can be built into this baked into this idea of being a writer because you in, you love writing stories and because, you know, stories mean so much to me, creating characters. And, and they feel like real people to me, some of the characters in my head. And if I can't write, I can't get those stories out. And also on a more practical level, it's my career. I'm not trained in anything else. I studied creative writing at university uh, in an undergraduate degree and then I did an MA in it. And then I taught creative writing at various levels and I've sold novels and I perform on stage my poetry stuff I've written stuff I've produced that is my way of feeding myself and keeping a roof over my head and so you've got all those things this kind of career element coming into it so it can be a terrifying thing it just you know if you imagine turning up at your job and just going oh shit I don't know how to switch on my computer anymore I'm not sure I can answer a phone this morning I'm not, and actually, of course, some of you will say, well, I've had that, you know, there's regularly teachers, you know, become so stressed that they can't, I can't teach a class anymore. You, anyone in, can have job stress that you know how paralyzing that can be. And it's no different with writers. And just because we've got all these tropes about the kind of like precious, tortured 
artists swanning around in a kimono and then uh, draping themselves across the uh, chaise long and fanning their face saying whatever shall become of us uh, we it, it, it's it's seen as something indulgent of course I'm terribly terribly lucky but that doesn't mean that these things aren't painful it doesn't mean that they don't have a detrimental effect on a writer's life and what I'm saying to you is it's okay to feel like that but also it's not inevitable and it's not something that can't be fixed and it's also not something that it's not a chronic issue and it's not something that you can't fix sometimes very quickly uh and for me you know it's been a few things this week that have really helped not that I've been feeling in that state of anxiety for quite a while because I allowed myself a break because I've allowed myself to chat to you guys because I've allowed myself to do free writes uh, at least, you know, once a day, where I just write about whatever I fancy. Well, I've, that, those have never been a source of anxiety for me. Every time I've done them, I felt better afterwards. A, li a little bit better. You know, it's not been this um, a magical panacea that's cured all my creative anxieties, but it's something I know I can always turn up and do. I don't ever feel like, shit, will I be able to do a free write this time? Because there's no standard based on it. You go, I'm going to be dare to be average. And a lot of this is about fighting that sense of perfectionism and that attempt to run an evaluation on your writing as you're writing it, which is always going to split your attention and make your writing worse and less fun, I guess. Um, I think, you know, you're always, sometimes you will look back at a sentence you've written and make some decisions based on what you've done. But I think evaluating, is this good enough? Is this good enough? All the time is going to interfere with the imaginative process, at least in a first draft. Of course, all of you will know that I, I love editing and the process of making a story better and refining and cutting out extraneous lines and replacing a vague noun or a vague idea with something crunchier and more beautiful I love those things so don't don't think that I'm I'm, I'm slagging off editing um, as an overall thing but it's not appropriate for every moment and it's just it can be so liberating to do these free writes but then building up from that I started to realize this mm, you can't you can't write a you can't write a novel this way. I don't think you can just free write your way into a novel. So I've been, you know, I was letting myself do some little bit, bits of world building, some loose plans, and and then finally I've built up to going. Okay, I'm going to do some longer writes now, and I'm going to follow a story. What's a good uh, opening scene? Oh, the other thing I did actually is I went on Twitter and I wrote a load of first lines. I got people. I put a post up and I said, uh, if you like this. One like equals uh, one interesting opening line to a novel. And that was just a really fun creative exercise for me. I really enjoyed just going through and just putting in, st just creating story seeds, just fucking about, creating something a little bit odd, uh, something that had a little imagining. What's a story hook? What's something that's intriguing? What's a problem a character could face how would a first good first line what would what is a good first line and I'd come up with some and some were a bit shit some were great and one of those first lines stuck in my head a little bit and I've I've airlifted it out of that project and I've now and by the way they're all on my uh, Twitter if you go on at Tim Clare Poet you can go on there and you can uh, you can nick any of them. They're open source. Feel free to um, use any in your own own work. Uh, royalty free. You can if any of them give you inspire you to write something. That'd be great. That's what they're there for. It worked with me, and I've taken a first line and I've started writing a scene that I hope will grow into a novel. I've had to start imagining a world for that that line could exist in, and I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying writing. I don't know where it's going to go. 
I don't I don't ask myself to know where it's going to go and I think that's the difference that's what's been good this week it's been good to write with friends uh, how, knowing that they're there I think there's a solidarity in that um, that makes you feel slightly less absurd and and puts a little bit of pressure on you as well a kind of like positive pressure where you, social pressure where you go I, I want to fucking write something I'm not just going to um, go on Facebook or drink endless cups of tea or tidy my desk this is good another thing I've done is tidy my office though and that's made me feel a, a lot less cluttered in my head and it's made me feel a lot uh more more sort of at peace i think i think that's fair enough is that too is that too much yeah i think it's made me feel at peace so that's another recommendation i'd have for you you know like make sure that whatever space you're writing in you know you can use it as a displacement activity but if it's an absolute shit pit it might be tricky to write and i think it can it can re it can it can be a real distraction and it can make you it, it can create a kind of ambient level of stress that you're not aware of until you clean that air space up and then you go oh I feel a bit more focused so I've been doing that and I've started writing this scene and my decision is that I'm going to write and keep moving forward and I'm not going to reread after I've done it done the scene when I come back to it the next day and I'm going to let it be quite shit in places because if you follow it through you follow your ideas through, you start to get a sense of structure and and you will hit moments that work for you where you, you, you'll just start getting a flavour and an intuitive feel about stuff where you go, ah, the story is working at this moment. I guarantee you, you should really try it and try and be alive to those moments where you go, ah, the voice is working or oh, that's a good idea. You're allowing yourself without you, because you're not giving yourself an established canon, right, of the world. I'm writing science, science fiction? No, fantasy, really. Um, but it applies to literary fiction as well, where you're creating a character's backstory, the world around them, the characters surrounding them. Giving yourself the freedom to invent, giving yourself the space to go, okay, I'm going to, who lives here? What is their relationship to this person? What do they look like? What kind of character quirks might they have? What's their dress sense like? Um, what's their vocabulary like? Giving yourself the freedom to just like, oh, I'm going to fucking, let's try this. Let's stick this in here. And you knowing that it's non-canon, right? That you are just dropping it in as an experiment. To go, I wonder what would happen if this character is a pig farmer and uh, they lost an arm. They lost their left arm uh, above the elbow. Uh, it's a slight impediment to their work, but they've uh, worked ways around it. They are uh, quite a happy-go-lucky character, which uh, I guess provides some stark contrast. If you're looking for the lit-fix set, lit set piece, having a happy-go-lucky, quite optimistic character slaughtering pigs uh, in, the, in the scene where they're giving someone a pep talk about how to get through life. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Maybe they're the love interest of the character. Maybe they, you know, there's a bunch of stuff, okay? But you can, and then maybe you try it out and you go, no, I don't like this. It doesn't work. But having that freedom and giving yourself that permission to go, this is my world, I'm going to work through it, I think really, really helps. So I'm just consciously fucking about. And I think something that locked me up for a long time was trying to be like grown up and professional right 
and know what I'm doing at all points during a story. And I think actually talking to Joe Dunthorne on the podcast and him, his talking about you get a kind of match fitness with a voice, with the voice of your story and the world of your story, you build up to a level of knowledge, a saturation point where the writing comes easier or you feel more confident with it. And that is something that, uh, like stoking a fire, isn't permanent. It tails off at the end as well. But you have to accept that there's a certain amount of work you've got to do to get there. And you can only do that by fucking turning up and not sabotaging yourself by not writing it because you're worried about fucking it up. Because that's putting the cart before the horse. Another thing I want to say is that this idea of motivation, and I've talked about motivation a bit before, but we have this idea of motivation that what you have to do is you have to get motivated and then you'll be able to write. And actually, I've bought into this myself. I did an episode, the big motivate, big writing motivation episode, where I said, here's how to get motivated, here's how to get amped. Now, off you go. Actually, it's nice to have those uh, boosts. Uh, and I don't, I'm not attacking them because I did them myself. But I think part of the kind of thinking behind the Couch to 80K writing bootcamp was to just get you writing without worrying, saying you don't need any motivation to start this. Let's just get you writing. And then once you are writing, that generates motivation, that generates engagement, that generates investment, and then you will start to write more. And it, it sounds so stupidly pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps to say, don't worry, if you want to be motivated to write, then write. Because I've been spending ages going, how can I G myself up to be really psyched about writing so I'll write a whole bunch? And it turns out, just going, accepting, I don't want to fucking write this. I'm worried it's going to be shit. Oh, I'm just going to write anyway. I'm just going to write anyway, and it's just going to be like I'm building my calluses on my hands and my muscles so I can shift these bags of potatoes, so I can shift these sacks of potatoes into the truck. I'm just going to move i'm just going to shift i'm just going to shovel words onto the page because all i'm doing at the moment is building up my writing muscles i'm just going to shovel words uh, of this project onto the page that for me has made me feel psyched about writing for the first time i can't wait to go back to it in fact i'm not going to um, talk to you much longer because i want to go back and i want to get some writing in before the end of the day uh so that's my big sort of recommendation to you is if you're sort of dithering and worrying about a project it's just go look you're gonna it's gonna bits of it are gonna be shit it's not reflect it's not a reflection on you you just have to decide to turn up a little bit set your clock for half an hour and just write uh and start a scene with an interesting provocation you know with find a character in your project that you can just jump into a scene where they're facing a dilemma a problem a conflict where something where shit is kicking off uh and and if you can't if you don't have those scene those uh, problems then just join them wherever they are invent a character if you don't have a character and then throw something at them you know throw have that whole Raymond Chandler thing of you know sending a send a man into the into the room with a gun there are lots of there are lots of uh, gun shaped things in narrative that you can you can push into a, a room and sometimes they are you know literal 
uh, bombs crashing through the wall, their literal car crashes, their literal deaths in the family, their literal dramatic, physically dramatic moments. And those can be great fun to write, you know, the man versus nature paradigm of like big storms and crashing oceans. And I, I love those. I love, f you know, fire based set pieces and things like that. I think having read William Golding's Lord of the Flies, I, it, you know, it's set into my head this idea of when you want a dramatic set piece with certain kind of like literary connotations, have them face a big fire. But it's cool, right? And there's loads, but there's loads of different ways you can inflect that. Avalanche, all those natural things. And then there's emotional uh, set pieces as well. But once you jump into that scene, except it doesn't fucking matter whether you use this. It doesn't matter whether you've chosen the right thing. In fact, I would, I would, I would argue you should, you should be pushing through, how far can I take this? You should be writing non-canon iterations of stuff. What would happen if my character just take them out of, out of the world that you've imagined for them, if you want, and play it, plonk them somewhere else, just so you feel free to to write, to get the words down, and start building up some writing calluses and some muscles and the strength to work through the story you've got in mind. It'll take a while, but I tell you what: as soon as you're as soon as you're free from that from that anxiety that chokingness of you know that 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 creative throttling of anything i got to say. so here's an example uh i'm I, I know it sounds like i'm changing the subject but i'm not so i, I suppose you may have or may not have heard of the uh, uh psycho psychological school of behaviorism uh, uh skinner was the um was, was, I guess, the most uh, famous uh, proponent of uh, of behaviorism, as which is, is is sort of about kind of like reinforcement and punishment, and was built up a uh, a lot around experiments done on rats with food pellets and electrocution and things like that. And this basic idea that what you do is any behavior that is rewarded, uh you know, reinforced with a reward, which is normally a food reward, will be repeated and will be learned easier. And any behaviour that is punished with an electric shock or something unpleasant like cold water uh, will be decreased in the uh, subject. And most of these things were done with animals. But one of the things, uh, one of the unintended consequences was the application of this in language acquisition in children. And for a while, there was a vogue that came out of the behaviorist school for correcting uh, young children's grammar uh, as they uh, acquired language and uh, meticulously cor correcting uh, grammatical mistakes. So if they, uh, you know, the verb, the past, uh, the, the past tense version of fly, if they, um, if they said, said that the birds flied, then you would say, no, not flied, flew. And you would, not necessarily cruelly, but you would meticulously correct their grammar. And, and the idea being, if you give negative reinforcement to grammatical mistakes, you know, kind of punishment or just correction, then you will see less or fewer of those mistakes and uh, grammar will improve. And what it actually produced was a generation of children uh, who 
became as a result, you know, extreme cases, sub-vocal, who it, it created a generation of severe stammerers. Now, I'm a situational stammerer. You probably don't hear it on the podcast so much, although you'll hear these pauses and hedging uh, like that, exactly like that. As soon as I even acknowledge that I stammer, it starts arising in my voice and uh, it, it starts taking over. Hypercorrection and behaviorist-driven dri uh, negative reinforcement of grammatical mistakes didn't stop children making grammatical mistakes. It stopped them experimenting with language and trying because they rightly concluded, very rationally concluded, the best way to stop getting that uh, negative reinforcement wasn't to spend time learning quote-unquote correct grammar. And of course, we know there is no correct grammar. I love teaching grammar. I love how empowering it can be. But only if we accept there's a multitude, a, a plurality of grammars and what's called, uh, you know, received pronunciation and standard English is not the correct version of grammar. Any uh, uh, slang or any version of, of English and pigeons and creoles and uh, e ebonics and uh, any of the amazing versions of uh, English as a language around the world that have been taken and frankly improved upon by different cultures who've taken it on as a second language and all the borrowed words we have and th those grammars are just as logical and follow just as many rules as quote-unquote standard English um, but they found that these children just you know decided it was easier to stop speaking and became stammery because they their their body was stopping them from making a mistake before they could make it they became ah, 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 yeah because their brain had been trained. Don't speak. Don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. And you may have that as you as you write, that internal creative stammer, that choking sensation around the throat that says, don't, don't, don't write. You'll fuck it up. And that is the quickest way to not, that's the simplest way to avoid making mistakes is to not do it and what i will say to you is the best the best way for a child to uh, learn language is to copy is to shout is to say blah 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 because when they do that you it takes time to build up strength in the like tongue muscles babies have to this has been happening with my daughter she has to uh, gain um, tongue strength and the mouth strength and she's talking gloriously now loads of things she's saying aren't uh, words that you'd find in the dictionary but she's now starting to conjugate um, compound nouns that don't exist in our world she knew the word tower she knew the word house and she saw a picture of a lighthouse and my wife said what's that and she said tower house and it kind of is a tower house. How glorious is that? It's amazing what she's doing with words and how she uses the vocabulary she knows to, she extrapolates from it and applies it to other things. It's wondrous to see. It's amazing. And why don't you do that to yourself? 
why don't you let why don't you celebrate the fact that you can put down lines and this story is being created sentence by sentence moment by moment word by word but we're so if you over professionalize it if you worry too much about getting it right first time you will never practice you will never learn you will be like one of those hyper correcting parents and you will drill into yourself a creative stammer but you can lose it as well you can learn to breathe again and if creative anxiety is a form of choking then think back to the other word we think of when we're talking about creativity which is inspiration which literally means to breathe in to inspire to draw in the spirit to draw in air to draw in the oxygen of ideas of enthusiasm and to open you know your your throat as a writer and so to do that you you have to read you have to look at the world with a sense of wonder i think and be open to that you know listen and absorb things around you and think i could use that i could use that and you have to write not in some kind of rod for your back oh, i got i should be writing i've fucking got to sit down and get 3000 words of the novel today you won't enjoy that what i'm saying is just be a bit more impish about it this is your world and in the world you're creating your god and you can make a giant muskrat burst from a barrel of walnuts that a character is standing next to and attach itself to her face and start savaging her and that's you're allowed to do that you probably don't want to right but you're allowed to do that you have permission to write whatever you want and it doesn't really matter you can write multiple iterations of the same scene and have fun and every one you write you are building you're building your own confidence you are you are sticking a middle finger up to every fucker who said you weren't allowed to write anyone who sneered at you in your life anyone who's not been kind to you you are anyone who thinks that you're it's not sensible to write or that you should get a real job every time you write you are sticking it to that every time you write you are sticking it to a world that values you on how much money you make or what you produce you're creating something that didn't exist before and that costs almost nothing to create and it doesn't matter if it fits into a saleable story truck the only faith that i would ask you to have i and i think this is borne out again and again is these things will come they will semi mystically throw themselves together except it's not it's very rational but all you have but you have you have to trust in the process and enjoy the process and love the process and give yourself over to the process and i've just you know i had this great conversation with the author Nate Crowley and he's talked about his real liberating trust and faith and embracing of ideas and what ifs and following characters down rabbit holes where they lead them of course when i say that we're talking about alice in wonderland and her seeing a rabbit run past with a pocket watch saying i'm late and she thinks i'm going to follow that rabbit to see what's happening and there's part of your brain the inner critic that will say no that's too silly it's too silly to 
follow a talking rabbit down a hole. Come on, let's stay in this. Let's stay in this. Let's not do. People will think we're idiots. Let them think that you're an idiot. Being an idiot is not the worst thing you can be in the world. The worst thing you can be is unkind. We get this tiny, tiny sliver of consciousness and being alive. You know, in the Buddhist tradition, they talk a lot about how lucky we are to be human beings. To how what a rare event it is for a human being to be to someone to be created as a human being. Uh, and the reason that human birth is so auspicious is because it's the one place where you have the opportunity to do the work, where you have the opportunity to make decisions, where you have the opportunity to grow and take risks. Up in heaven, while all the devas up in heaven are hugely virtuous, they never change and they will die in the end and uh, return back into the wheel of life. Uh, but it's human beings who can grow and it's human beings because we're in a world that is sometimes difficult, because it's not easy, because we have genuine choice, because there are few true obligations in this world. Every time we do make a choice that is virtuous, it has genuine meaning. And so I say to you, as a challenge, when this podcast finishes, why not just fucking try writing in defiance of expectation, in defiance of writing a good scene? And see how you feel at the end of half an hour when that timer finishes. I'm saying to you, you will feel, definitely you will not feel worse than when you started. Your your writing does not owe you anything. You, you lose something when you demand of it, where's my saleable book? Where's my masterpiece? Where's my story that's going to justify all the time I'm pouring into this that is not a open-hearted way to approach your writing and I know this because I do it myself but I'll say to you I'm not so I don't want to sound like I'm being a fucking hypocrite if you can detect hypocrisy in me by all means call it out I think that's fair enough because there's so many writers who advocate things they don't do themselves but I will tell you this and I will tell you this honestly from my heart every time I've given myself to my writing asking nothing in return and simply doing my best it has been immensely valuable and it ultimately moves me forward in my creative practice and so I suspect that is the thing that's going to work for you as well right I'm going to finish up there but if you would like to submit something for the show I'm looking for 250 word extracts uh, of the first page of your novel I want them to be polished and great but if you would like to send me something please 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 I would love your submissions I'd love to work on them um, you can just go onto my website timclairepoet.co.uk there's a little uh, sort of tab in the right hand column that says contact me in block caps you click on that it will put up a little uh, email form and you can send me just drop 250 words into the body of the email don't forget to put in the title I don't need any spiel about the context of your novel just make sure it's the best absolute best you can get it I will give robust feedback on the show but it's not in any way a uh, judgment of your character you're a wonderful lovely excellent person and your writing even if it's excellent cannot make you better and if it's shit it can't make you worse but writing is malleable and corrigible and changeable so 
this isn't like a diagnosis of your ability as a writer. It's a diagnosis of how well this opening scene is serving your brilliant ideas and wondrous, magical characters. So I'd love, whatever genre you're writing in, I'd love you to send me something. 250 words, send me the extract. I would, I would love to read it. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, the main thing you can do is just fucking share the shit out of it on social media, on blogs, in your writing communities. I'm an author, so if you can buy my novel, The Honours, which is published by Canongate, it's fantasy, it's a kind of ripping yarn set in the 1930s, I think you'll really like it. Uh, then please do. You can, I'll put, I always have like a link on my website. You can click through and get yourself a copy, get a copy for friends. I'm a writer. I make my living and my ability to continue doing this is entirely dependent on people buying my books. I try and put loads of time in to make them fucking good. Uh, lots of people have enjoyed it so far. If you buy it, then you're chucking me a couple of quid by buying it and you get a great book and a sexy looking book as well, I should say. It's also, um, there's an ebook version and there's a great audiobook version of it on audible so any of those would be great if you can if you like my book you can review it online uh you know give it a star rating on uh places like amazon and goodreads that always helps loads and finally uh, on my website there's a little button that says buy me a coffee if you click that you can pop through and drop me a donation i always super appreciate those thank you so much to all of you who've uh dropped me a little bit of chunk of change to help support the podcast i i'm Still shocked that you that people actually did it. It's so, so, so generous of you, and I'm really, really grateful. I'm going to sort of stop things there before I give you kind of like my whole uh, dump too much admin on you. I just want to wish you a really, really, really good writing week. I know you can do this. I know it sometimes feels like you can't, but, you know, your judgment is not so good. <laughs> your judgment is not so good that you are actually an accurate judge of whether you can or can't finish a story finish a novel i believe in you and i just think you know you've got a lot of fucking things wrong up until now right so allow yourself the possibility that you might be surprised and you might end up writing something better than you expected take care and i'll see you next time <laughs>